Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. This morning we are in Genesis chapter 2. The genesis of marriage is what we're looking at. This, we will have several marriage messages coming up as we move through the book of Genesis. And this morning I'm going to talk about the beginning of marriage. Genesis means beginnings or origin. So whenever you see the word Genesis, that's what it means. So the book of Genesis is filled with the beginnings of things, institutions that God put into place, what theologians call orders of creation principles. These spill over into the New Testament so that sometimes when an argument is being made in the New Testament, an appeal is made to an order of creation. An order of creation argument is different from a cultural argument. Some people might say, well, you know, uh, this applied for that culture. But when you see a New Testament writer make an argument from the orders of creation, what they're doing is saying, this is how God designed things. This is not cultural. It is not based upon what time you might live in history. It flows throughout the history of man because it is connected to the beginning and the beginner. That's what the book of Genesis is about. It's about origins. It's about foundations. In fact, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis establish really the bulk of the rest of the principles for life and doctrines of the New Testament as they run throughout Scripture. Let's pray for God's help as we get going. Father, as we talk about marriage, we do need all the help we can get. We confess it. It's not the easiest thing in life, but it's such a beautiful grace of life, such a gift that you have given to us. Good marriages are built upon the solid foundation of Jesus Christ, and underneath us are those everlasting arms. I pray for every person here, whether they're a widow, a widower, whether they're a young adult uh, thinking about marriage sometime in the future, whether somebody's even been through a divorce or um, whatever stage of life we might find ourselves, the gift of singleness is also in Scripture. We know marriage is the main uh, thing that unfolds in society, and it's your plan, Lord. You know how it works best because it's from you. And I pray that as we get into it, Lord, our hearts would be open, our hearts would be application stations, our homes would be places where truth is not just heard but lived out. That's the challenge, Father. So we pray that we'd have humble hearts, ears to hear what you would say to us, Speak to us your wisdom, your life, your truth. We pray over our culture so confused about marriage, how to define it, where it comes from. Lord, would you please just cement in our minds that you made it and you know how it works best and may you bring clarity where there might be confusion. May you bring hope where there might be hopelessness and may you bring your life and your truth and your love to us in our hearts. We pray for Jesus' glory in his name. Amen. Well, over the years, um, I've done a lot of weddings, and I have a little bit of experience about marriage and marriage counseling. My wife and I, my beautiful wife, on the front row, here to keep me accountable throughout this message. We have been married for 25 years. Yes, it's true. Um, I got married when I was 12, just so you guys know. Okay, 
Actually, there was a lady at the outreach yesterday, and she goes, oh, you look so young. And whenever somebody says that to me, I gravitate towards that person. She goes, you're such a young pastor. And I said, well, how old do you think I am? And she goes, 37. And I said, oh, God bless you. You can come to the church, please, and bring your friends. So anyway. So the book of Genesis is about beginnings, and we've been talking about the creator and his creation, and we've been talking about how his creation testifies day and night to who he is. Psalm 19 is a great creation psalm, and it says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands, and day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they display knowledge. But the stars are not made in the image of God. The sun is not made in the image of God. A snow-capped mountain is not made in the image of God. Uh, Stars, the roaring of seas, a bird in flight, all those things that we might be in awe and might cause us to think, man, there must be a creator. Well, those things are not made in God's image. Do you know what? The only thing the Bible says is made in God's image, not even angels are said to be made in God's image. It's you and me. So that every time you encounter a human being, you can see God in that person. Now, we are not little gods, don't get me wrong, but we are made in the image of God so that the the thing, if you follow the argument that reflects God's glory the most or God's image the most is people. And we can so quickly You know, we want to take in a sunset or we want to be in awe of the stars. If you can go to the desert, you can see more than just a couple. Or go to the mountains. But we so quickly pass people by. I was uh, preaching at an event that was on creation-evolution debate. And I said, just think of the most beautiful person that you've ever seen. Don't lust. But God is a master potter, isn't he? The way that he has put mankind together. I showed you some pictures of babies in a recent message. And you just look at the sparkle of life in a baby's eyes. God is a majestic creator. And the thing that is made in his image is us. And man, a man and a woman coming together reflect the gospel, which we will get to in a moment. People are without excuse, not only by the things that have been created, sun, moon, and stars, They are without excuse by just encountering other people. Because every day we're reminded that God is there because people around you are made in his image. I'm not sure that we value people that way, but maybe we need to rethink that. You know, we've had a lot of nonsense coming out about uh, the devaluing of life and Planned Parenthood. We know what they've been up to. It's been exposed what they're doing. I won't get into graphic details, but I'll tell you this. Whenever a society begins to demote human life, and now we have some groups, by the way, that want animal citizenship. They want, they want our pets to become citizens, by the way. I mean, this is what's happening. We've lost our way. It's not that animals don't have value, but you're going to see in a moment the high value that God places on mankind. And marriage, which is being debated in our culture right now, who defines it? Who really says what it means? Has already been defined. Henry Morris, who's written a wonderful commentary on Genesis, says, you know, think about it. Evolution cannot produce the covenant of marriage. 
You don't see primates walking down an aisle with a little canopy in the jungle, exchanging rings. It's not what they do. But where did it come from? Think about it. Why do people get married? Why do people get involved in a heterosexual, monogamous relationship for life? Why would you do that? Because it is a creation ordinance. Marriage is from God. God designed it. God is the one who created it. Therefore, God can define it. Amen? So with all the confusion that we have in the culture, we've got to take another look. And this is part of the reason that we're going back to the beginning. Is I want to take another look at marriage. Let's look at it. Let's see what God says about marriage. I tell people often when I do a, a wedding that your marriage is not going to be defined by the seal of the state of California or even by a ceremony. Your marriage will be defined by a foundation. If I called my wife up here right now, I know what she would say. What has made our marriage work for 25 years? What has blessed it? Jesus Christ. Underneath us are the everlasting arms. My wife and I, when we got married, we were new Christians. We had our share of bumps. Marriage is not easy, but as we've matured in the Lord, and as He has molded and shaped, I would tell you this, the intimacy that I enjoy with my beautiful wife, you, I would not give for anything in the world. Because it's gone deeper and deeper over the years. And the only way you will be able to know that is to do it God's way. Now, I know in a room like this, we've had our share of mistakes. I've made plenty of them. We all have. But let's, let's look at God's design. And let's say that even if we're off track right now, maybe we can get on track and at least teach these principles to the next generation. God is the one who establishes the institution of marriage. In fact, before three institutions, there is family, government, and church, the first one that God ever creates in the Bible is the family. In fact, it's marriage. That's the first institution. I heard Jack Hibbs say recently that somebody on CNN, I think, said he wished that everybody was homosexual. And Jack said, well, that's something interesting, isn't it? Because if everybody was, and I don't know if the guy was saying it in t- tongue-in-cheek, we would have no human society in about a generation. Hello? Now, one of the things that God did say is that within marriage, we are to be fruitful and multiply. You're going to see a woman created, and she is going to fit the man. And people have wondered, you know, these are some of the first words recorded of mankind in the Bible. And people say, well, where did Adam learn to talk? And what language did he speak? I can settle that right now. He spoke 1970s English. Here's why I know. When she comes to him, he goes, whoa, man. All right? So you don't have to worry about that one anymore. So what have we seen so far? Adam is created by God. We, we have discovered that Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 1 is a flyover. Look at the verses with me. Go back for a second. 126. God said, let us make man, Genesis 126, in our image. According to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Genesis 1.27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Yet when we went to Genesis 2, we discovered that Genesis 1 was simply an overview because now we find out that sequentially speaking, Adam was made first. They weren't made at the same time. Adam was made from the dust of the ground. And we saw that image of the master potter shaping and molding him. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And Adam became a living being. But Eve is not there yet. She has not been created. In fact, she will be created in such a remarkable, special way. She will be taken literally out of Adam. And the New Testament will affirm this. And we'll talk about that in a second. So man is a steward. He's been made, breathed life, and now he's a caretaker. He is to cultivate and keep the garden. That's Genesis 2.15. God's given him work to do. God's given him choice. He said, you can have of all these trees, even the tree of life he has access to, only one tree he can't eat of. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's got everything at his fingertips. In fact, he's got a whole zoo of pets that he can spend time with. Maybe a pet lion. Come over here, lion. You know, I mean, incredible gifts, work to do, lush trees, a wonderful environment, a whole zoo of pets with which he can spend time. But God is going to say now that something is not good. He's been calling things good over and over again in, in rapid fashion. Uh, look, go back in verse 4 of chapter 1. You're going to see God says, God saw the light and it was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. Go to verse 10. And you might want to mark these because you're going to see that there's seven of them. Uh, I'll just, just for the sake of time, God saw that it was good. End of verse 10. Go to verse 12. And God saw that it was good. Go to verse 18. God saw that it was good. Go to verse 21. And God saw that it was good. Go to verse 25. And God saw that it was good in verse 31. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And, it, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Good, 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 very good. Six goods, one very good. That's seven, the biblical number of completion. It's all good. Adam should be good, right? Wrong. Now God will say for the first time, something's not good. What is not good? Well, then the Lord God said, the Genesis 2.18, it is not good for the man to be alone. Something is not good. It's proclaimed by God. The Lord God, look at verse 18, is the combination Yahweh Elohim. We've looked at that, the covenant name of God, the creative name of God. For the first time in Genesis, God makes the pronouncement that something is not good, and that is that Adam is alone. It would appear that all is good, but now God says it's not all good. There's something missing. Adam doesn't say that. God says that. What you will see in this account is divine initiative. In fact, Adam's going to name the animals, and he doesn't say once to God, you know, I feel kind of lonely. He doesn't say to God, you know, I feel something missing, although that may be implied. It is God who is doing it. 
God makes the declaration it's not good for him to be alone. And God is the one who supplies the helper that fits him. Therefore, God is the one who's going to define what marriage is. He's going to show us what his plan is. He says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Literally, the word is corresponding to him. Proverbs 18, 21 and 22. Write it down for your notes. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. If Adam being alone is not good, that means that when he is married, it is good. It is not good for the man to be alone. And then Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. 1 Peter 3.7 says, Marriage is the grace of life. It's a good thing. It's mocked in our culture. What does it really mean anymore? It means a lot. In fact, it is sacred. It is something that God established early on. And he said, he implied it's good. And now we find out it's good. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. What's interesting to me is right before that, it says death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. I never saw these verses back to back, but they are. And that tells me something about marriage. Communication is so important in marriage. In fact, there is no one who can love you more than your spouse, and there's no one who can hurt you more. You know, words do matter. And when we speak ill words to our spouse, and sometimes we do it just because we live in close quarters, we've had a bad day, sometimes we take it out on those closest to us, and if you speak words of death, they're going to hurt your spouse. We've got to measure our words. We've got to be careful. And one thing I would say, because we're all human, we've all made mistakes with our mouths, is we need to keep short accounts with each other and extend and receive forgiveness. So if you've blown it in this area and maybe you struggle, then say, you know what, please forgive me. And forgiveness will move your marriage forward. Unforgiveness will move your marriage backward. If you sit there and stew on words and, you know, I can't believe this person said this to me, man, it, it tends to eat you up inside. You know, they do lists and they say, well, what are the top things in marriage? And they'll talk about intimacy and, and managing money and discipline of children and all that stuff. But communication is so huge. And if you're going to be a good communicator, you've got to have Christ controlling your tongue because nobody can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And that's why you need the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5, it says, be filled with the Spirit. And then it goes on to talk about marriage. Marriage is going to be lived out at its best with Christ as the foundation and the individual believers filled with the Spirit. And you can take this to the bank, and I think you all know this. Marriage is the school of discipleship. It's where you learn to love somebody selflessly. And selfishness and pride are the key factors of taking marriages down. Write that down, make a mental note. It's not that difficult to figure out. But when a person will not relent, when they will not back down, marriages blow up because of selfishness and pride. And if two people are willing to do their best for the other, 
and you've got to learn this. Look, over time you learn that you've got to just accept somebody for who they are. The Bible's mode of love is not performance, it's acceptance. You got to, you know, sometimes we think this, oh, when I marry him, he'll change. No, he won't. He's been showing you his best before you got married. You need to know that. It's going to get worse. All right? I'll change him. I don't know. So it's based upon acceptance. There are differences between men and women, and they are designed by God. But you've got to learn that it's about acceptance. I'll make him a helper. She'll be suitable for him, but she's not going to be exactly like him. In fact, the language means she'll be like opposite him. And of course, when Adam sees her, he's got to appreciate the differences, right? Whoa, man. She's a woman, right? It's a good thing. Now, God is the one taking initiative, and he says, I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. The Hebrew word is etzer, transliterated into English as E-S-E-R, or azar. This word, most frequently, the word helper or helpmate, describes Yahweh's relationship to Israel. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the word connects to the idea of God being our help. Hebrews 4.16 says, we come to the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. That's the word. That's the root connection of the word. She will be his helper. And the word is most frequently used for Jehovah or Yahweh helping Israel. This is not a word about servitude. This is a word about somebody who comes alongside to be an ally. In fact, in the Hebrew picture language, Dr. Seekin says, this is not the word for a servant helper. The root word azar means to surround and protect. The word etzer is used to describe a military ally. In the Hebrew picture language, the word helpmate pictures someone who is strong and can see the enemy for who they are. Helper is probably best defined as an ally. My wife and I went to a family life marriage conference some years ago. We were invited by the ministry to kind of see what it was about. Our marriage was doing well, but everybody could use a tune-up. So we went there as a pastor and wife. And one of the things they did early on, they had hundreds of people in this room at a hotel And they said, okay, right now I want you to turn to your spouse and say, you are not my enemy. Well, we were kind of chuckling to one another, but you could cut the tension in that room with a knife. Because some people had come to that marriage conference as a last-ditch effort to save their marriage, and they were dangling by a string. And you could see people, and they, they... you couldn't even get the words out because they were sitting next to the enemy. It was her or him. That's why they were there. And what's interesting about this language is that Eve is supposed to be Adam's ally, able to see the enemy. Now, my wife has incredible discernment skills. I walk around kind of like, yeah, yeah, everybody's cool. She's got incredible discernment skills. In fact, I think you're bad about a thousand percent. And that is actually a biblical insight that she will have special discernment skills 
to recognize the enemy. In fact, I will tell you, sometimes being in, in ministry, my wife has said to me, this is the enemy. Sometimes we'll have a little turmoil in the house going on and she'll say it. This is the enemy. We'll have to just stop and pray. You know what the enemy does? He wants to divide your house because a house divided cannot stand. And some of you may be thinking, my spouse is the enemy. No, actually, your wife was given to you guys to help you see the enemy. Hey, this is Pastor Michael. Thank you so much again for listening to Living Truth Radio. We're blessed to have a wonderful listening audience, and we appreciate you partnering with us in prayer and in giving if you can. But we just want to say thank you for listening, tuning in. Tell a friend about Living Truth Radio and keep us in prayer. We want to just get the Word of God out to as many people as possible. Hey, I wanted to take a moment to invite you to our website. It's livingtruthcorona.org. Last time we were together, I told you a little bit about articles that are on that website, and I think they'll be very helpful for you. I want to tell you about something else on the website, and it is sermons. We have church sermons, we have radio sermons, and we have a huge archive section at livingtruthcorona.org. And in that archive section, we have complete book teachings, both Old and New Testament in their entirety, verse by verse. Those sermons are all up there. They're all free. We give the Word of God out for free. If you want to order a CD from our ministry, contact us through the website. Let us know how we can get that into your hands. We believe in getting the Word of God out to as many people as possible and making it accessible. At livingtruthcorona.org. Under sermons, you can find church, radio, and archived sermons. Thank you for listening to Living Truth Radio, for praying for us. May God richly bless you and your family. I'm Pastor Michael Lance, sitting with Oscar Santa Cruz with the help of Cameron Thomas today, helping us out. And we just want to say to you that Living Truth Radio is an extension of Living Truth Christian Fellowship here in the city of Corona. If you live in Southern California and you're anywhere near the Inland Empire, on Sundays we have two services at 9 and 11.15. We have a lot of things going on for the kids and teenagers. You can find out all that you'd want to know at livingtruthradio.org. This is a listener-supported ministry. Radio airtime is often very expensive. And we know that the ministry is making an impact, but we could use more partners to partner with us in this ministry endeavor. If you've been blessed by this program and you can help us out, please keep praying for us. But you can give by going to the the radio website, livingtruthradio.org. Click on the Donate tab and make sure whatever you give is for radio ministry. I want to give you something, just a heads up. We're going to develop a store here in the near future with different teaching series up there. And uh, we'll have some books available and things like that. So you can look forward to that. That'll be available on the website as well. So this is Pastor Michael on behalf of Oscar Santa Cruz and Cameron Thomas. We will catch you next time on Living Truth Radio. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.